today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. never truly accomplish all that God has purposed in their lives. We rob the potential of our lives every time we follow after the flesh. At first, that loss may not seem to be too very great, but as the years and as the situations come and go, we find that we've run our potential for the kingdom of God into bankruptcy. And all the assets have been burned away in the heat of our own passions, our desires, our inconsistencies, our disobediences, our unwillingness to simply and humbly wait and trust and be obedient to the Lord. When you run after the desires of this world, you rob yourself of receiving the full potential God has for your life. At first, the potential loss may not seem too big, but eventually, the sins of the flesh will rule your life. In Pastor David's message today, he will encourage you to run to the things that God has for you. Turn away from the riches of this world and invest in the promises of eternity. Patiently trust and obey the Lord, and he will help you accomplish all he has planned for your life. And here's Pastor David in the book of Judges chapter 9 as he continues his message through the book of Judges. Well, from there we have the next judge, Judge number six, Tola, the son of the descendant of Toto, or no, actually Dodo. Uh, and he judged for 23 years. After him, uh, J.R., uh, Jire, uh, number seven, who judged for 22 years. Chapter 10, verse four tells us that his claim to fame was that he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys who also had 30 towns. That's his big claim to fame in all of scripture. Judge number eight is found in chapter three a man by the name of Jephthah the Gileadite, a man, a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Now, because of this, Jephthah was rejected by his family. He was rejected by his tribe until finally they needed a deliverer. See, Jephthah, after he was rejected, he gathered a bunch of worthless men around him, built up a pretty strong, mighty army. And so when they wanted, when they had problems, They went to the guy that they knew was mighty, and they went to the guy that they knew was powerful, the one that they had rejected. They cried out to him. The unfortunate thing was that although Jephthah was used by the Lord to deliver them, he made this this rash vow to the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He would have used him anyway, but Jephthah felt he needed to somehow Pay God back for this favor of being used. Look at chapter 11, verse 30. In verse 30, he tells us that Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said that if you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's 
and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Unfortunately, the one that came out of his house when he came back was his daughter, his only child. She came out of the house to meet her daddy returning from battle. Now, some believe that Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter as a burnt offering. Others, they they read that and they feel that, no, his daughter was sacrificed to the Lord to serve the Lord continually, to remain a virgin, to never marry in order that she could serve the Lord with a whole heart. And they believe that, again, the, the Lord could have very easily stopped him like the Lord stopped Abraham when Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. Believe it or not, the wording of the scripture doesn't make it entirely clear exactly what did happen because he said that I, I will sure, whoever comes out or whatever comes out shall surely be the Lord's. And yeah, I will offer it up as a burnt offering. But then there's other wording and the balance of that chapter gives at least the argument. We don't know for sure, but we do know that in Deuteronomy, the Lord says, do not offer your children as a sacrifice. I mean, totally forbidden by the Lord. So even if he did offer his daughter, it was nothing that the Lord wanted. This is something that Jephthah, who apparently had no real connection, no real strength in the Lord, uh, would have done all totally on his own. Now, Judges 9, 10, and 11, they're all summed up together in chapter 12, verses 8 through 15. Judge number 9 was Ibzan of Bethlehem. Verse 9 tells us he had 30 sons. He gave away 30 daughters in marriage. He brought in 30 daughters from elsewhere for his sons, and he judged Israel for seven years. Number 10 was Elon the Zebulonite, and he judged Israel for 10 years. And number 11 was Abdon, the son of Hillel the Pirithonite. And verse 14 tells us that he had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 young donkeys, and he judged Israel for eight years. Then we come to chapter 13, and we come to the introduction of actually the final judge before the coming of Eli as the priest and and Samuel uh, before they come into the scene. Judge number 12, Samson, one of the saddest stories from one of the saddest books of the Bible. And yet, even in the midst of all that was wrong within the message of Samson, there's still a lot of light that shines through it. Here we find God answered a prayer of an unnamed woman. Chapter 13, verse two. We read that a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife, they were barren, they had no children. Verse three, and the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and you shall bear a son. Well, in an effort to be able to honor the Lord for that word and to find out the name of the angel and to make sure that what his wife had said was actually true, they set up this time that, hey, if you ever see that angel again, come and get me. The angel came back again. She went and got her husband. He came to her, and in verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Uh, please let us detain you and we'll prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, catch this, this this is a very important part here. Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. 
And then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, well, what is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Doesn't Isaiah give us the fulfillment of who that angel is? Isaiah chapter nine, verse six says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Again, I see within the book of Judges, these angels of the Lord coming and speaking, receiving worship, receiving the offerings that are given to them. I see them again as a pre-incarnate vision of Christ here coming and speaking to these individuals. He was definitely actively involved, I believe, in all of these things. So, okay, back to the life of Samson, down in verse 24. So the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Maniah Dan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So much promise. There's so much potential right here. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was a completed promise of God to his his mother and his father. So much was there. And yet Samson wasn't a man that was desiring to follow hard after the Lord. Samson followed hard after the desires of his own flesh. And yet the amazing thing is, is God still used him in the midst of that. And that blows me away continually when I see these things. But I'm also blessed by it because, again, it speaks of the mercy and the grace of God. Does Samson pay for his sins? Oh, absolutely. Number one, his his life is an absolute mess here, and it does not end well for Samson at all. But at the same time, we see God's hand in his life. Look in, in chapter 14, in beginning in verse one. Samson went down to Timnah. He saw a woman in Timnah of who? The daughters of the Philistines, the enemy, the pagans. And so he went up and he told his daddy and his mommy, yeah, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. You can go get her for me. I want her as my wife. <laughs> this sounds like a spoiled brat. Go get her yourself, you want her. But no, his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Samson said to his daddy, oh, get her for me, get her for me, get her for me. So they go down. Mom, dad, Samson, go down to get engaged to her and on the way, Samson ends up killing his lion. Sometime later, he returns to claim the gal as his bride, and he checks out the carcass of the lion that he'd killed some time ago. Well, bees had made this hive out of the carcass or the the bones that were left. It produced uh, apparently a good amount of honey. A little bit later, this becomes a riddle for him as he posed this to the young Philistine men who had come for his wedding. There were Philistine men who came to his wedding because none of his friends came to his wedding. Apparently, Samson was so ego-driven, he probably didn't have a whole lot of friends. 
And so they had to hire these Philistine men to come and be at the wedding. And so the riddle that he posed to them, probably very familiar to most all of you, in verse 14, where he says, the riddle to these Philistine men was, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, if the Philistine men guessed it right, then Samson said, I will give you 30 linen shirts and 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't guess, you guys have to give me 30 linen shirts and 30 changes of clothes. Well, the young men couldn't guess on their own at all. And so they went to Samson's fiance and they warned her. They threatened her, literally. They were not her friends either. In verse 15, entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us. Otherwise, we're gonna burn you and your father and your, your whole house down. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Nice group of young guys, you know, the ones you'd love to have at your party. So the woman of Timnah, she, she kind of had the same attitude as Samson. She began to cry and to plead, and for seven days of what should have been a happy occasion, a Jewish wedding, a Middle Eastern wedding, lasting seven days, party for seven days. Finally, the, the wedding vows are taken. So what should have been a good time, she's continually nagging and crying and pleading with Samson. And Samson's finally, he's had enough. And so she, he tells her what the riddle means. And of course she goes and she tells the young Philistine men right away what it is. And then they came and told Samson, hey, we know what it is. It's a lion and honey within the lion. And so Samson's response to these guys is absolutely classic. It's one of my favorite responses in all of scripture. In verse 18, it says, if you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. <laughs> guys, uh, let me encourage you, do not use that phrase, okay? It's probably not real, you know, uplifting uh, for your wife, but it is, it is a classic. If you hadn't plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. So Samson goes out and he kills 30 other young Philistine guys, strips them of their clothes, brings it back to these Philistines, then goes on home, never gets married, just goes on home. A little bit later, he comes back, okay, man, I'm gonna go, I'm, you know, I've cooled down, I wanna go ahead and get married. But when he comes back, he finds out that his would-be father-in-law had given his would-be bride to his would-be best man, and so now he is still single, she's married to the, the best guy. So now he's really mad, and in chapter 15, he goes out, he catches 30 foxes, and ties their tails together, puts a torch in there, lights a torch on fire, lets them loose, and in verse five of chapter 15, it says that they went running through and burning up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. Now, again, then after killing about a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, Samson judges Israel for 20 years, and then his flesh gets the better of him again. His defeat came under the name of Delilah. Chapter 16 brings us the sad ending of Samson and yet the final fulfillment of the promise of God from chapter 13. Remember, in chapter 13, the angel of the Lord told Samson's mom that your child will begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Doesn't say he will totally deliver, says he will begin to deliver. 
Most of you know the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson's confidence was in his own strength, his own cunning, not in the presence and in the spirit of the Lord. He had no clue on that. He just figured he was able to do it. He felt again that the Lord's presence or that the Lord's power would always be upon him. He took it for just believing it was always going to be there no matter how deep his foolishness went. Samson's strength, though, he didn't realize it, but you and I need to realize it. It was not in his Nazarite vow. He had broken them time and time again, hanging around with the uncircumcised Philistines, hanging around with dead animals like the lion. Again, that Nazarite vow meant nothing to Samson. Neither was his strength in his hair. His strength was, always was, in the presence and in the power of the Lord upon his life. And when that was pulled away, Samson was like any other man. And yet the sad truth was, after Delilah had cut Samson's hair, Samson thought he could still fight just like before. But again, it's not his hair that was gone, but it was the very presence of God because through his continued disobedience, because he continually tested the long suffering and the patience of God, there finally came that time when God said, enough is enough. And he pulled his spirit away from Samson. And in verse 20, we read, and so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him, put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. King David understood that concept that there comes a time when we can push that long-suffering, that patience, that mercy of God. Remember when he sinned with Bathsheba and after Nathan the prophet stuck his finger in his face and said, David, you are the guy. David suddenly realized not only had his sin been found out, but David had a broken heart because of that sin. And in Psalm 51, we read the reality of what David knew was a reality in his own life or what could be a reality. In Psalm 51, down in verse 11, David writes, do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Now, beloved, today, we don't live in a time that the Holy Spirit comes and goes. We as a believer, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He is in our life. But we can also be to the point where we are not being empowered by that very Holy Spirit. We are not being strengthened, equipped, and gifted by that Holy Spirit because we're walking in disobedience. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit Spirit is not there, but it does mean that, again, the power of his hand, the leading, and even the protection of his hand has been pulled away. Samson, again, in his life, he finally cries out to the Lord. And as a matter of fact, it is actually the only time we ever read of Samson praying or crying out or speaking to the Lord at all. Still in chapter 16, as he's tied between the two pillars that are holding up that great temple of the Philistines, Samson prayed in verse 28. O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Just this once, O God, 
that I may with one blow honor your name among these pagan people. Is that what it says? No, not at all. He doesn't care about God's honor. He cares about his own. That's what it says. Do it, give me justice once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson took hold of the two pillars, supported the temple, braced himself against them. One was right, one was left. Then Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Pushed with all of his might. The temple fell on the Lord's and the people who were in it. And again, a very sad statement, very sad sentence here. So the death, so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Sad ending to, to one that was born with such a great potential. The problem is, I wonder how often that same story or a version of that story is repeated throughout the years and even today. Great potential in the lives of individuals, but because they're led by the flesh rather than by the spirit of the Lord, don't live up to the potential and never truly accomplish all that God has purposed in their lives. We rob the potential of our lives every time we follow after the flesh. At first, that loss may not seem to be too very great, but as the years and as the situations come and go, we find that we've run our potential for the kingdom of God into bankruptcy. And all the assets have been burned away in the heat of our own passions, our desires, our inconsistencies, our disobediences, our unwillingness to simply and humbly wait and trust, and be obedient to the Lord. The balance of judges tells the events of the idolatry of Micah and the Danites, the perversity of the Gibeonites of the tribe of Benjamin, another really just totally gross story that's just unbelievable again, but yet God puts it in here, warts and all, because it's the truth of his people and it's the truth of his patient faithfulness in a people that you and I, let's face it, long ago, we'd have written them off. But yet God had promised, God had made a covenant agreement with them. The book ends with these fatal yet somewhat familiar words. I believe that they are words that even touch our culture. Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Beloved, whenever a generation fails to pass their faith on and their experience of the Lord on to the next generation, that next generation has absolutely nothing to build on and nothing to acknowledge uh, uh, God. And as a matter of fact, acknowledging God seems foolish in their lives because all they're trusting on is the things that they can see, touch, feel, and handle and control themselves. Whenever mankind or a culture rejects the leading of God within their lives, we can always expect catastrophe and destruction. And beloved, we're reading it on the front pages of our newspaper. We're hearing it uh, on, on the internet. We're hearing it on the radio, on the television today. The chaos, the destruction, and the catastrophes that are all over us. Why? Because man continues to reject God. And beloved, we as the church today need to be found faithful to proclaim the truth that we know 
the truth that we experience, if it's real and if it's true, within our own lives. Surprisingly and sadly, too many followers of Jesus are Bible illiterate. They know a few basic names or facts, but the abundance of truth and love inside this great text is getting lost. This is why Pastor David feels it's necessary to take some time to work through the Bible in this series, and we're so glad you've joined us here on The Open Word for it. Each time you tune in, Pastor David will be giving you an accurate and succinct dialogue of a book of Scripture, pointing out the key passages and truths that everyone needs to be aware of. If you missed any part of today's message or any part of this series, we encourage you to visit our website. You'll be able to listen again at theopenword.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, and please feel free to share these teachings with your friends and family. Everyone can benefit from this Through the Bible series. Are you in the Casa Grande area? If so... Pastor David has an invitation to extend to you. Every message you hear on The Open Word is one that I shared here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande, a great church where I enjoy my role as senior pastor. I'd love to see your face next time I get up to teach, and I'd really enjoy meeting you afterward. Please consider coming on out and joining us this weekend. You'll be able to find all the information you need at theopenword.com. Just click the Calvary Chapel link at the bottom of the page See you there. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all for today. But join us next time to continue through the Bible here on The Open Word.